and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Kate Longhurst and Jesse Parker-Humphreys. Kate, match one of your three-match ban? Two-match yes. ban? Three. Three. <sighs> how, how was match one against Southampton? It's more stressful being a fan than being on the pitch. Could, were you, say. where were you? You were in the stands, you weren't like on the bench. Just, I was behind the dugout. Okay. Where normally the media people sit. Okay, and were you doing a bit of shrieking and coaching or? I did a lot of shouting and I did think my voice would be almost gone today. And I said to the girls after, it's like, God, my throat's really hurting from shouting. They're like, we didn't hear you at all. <laughs> so I was like, right, well, glad I wasted all that energy. Then. No, they were probably actually just like, block her Shut out. Up. <laughs> if we tell her we didn't hear her, she won't do it for the rest yeah, of the band. Exactly. <laughs> um, have you, has your dad forgiven you yet for giving up his West Ham tickets? For yeah, they game? had a great time. So Good. all my family were there. Um, also saw them in the service station on the way back, so that was nice. Can't escape. Yeah. And um, just following the coach. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and okay. Charlton, top of the league. We are at the moment. Yeah, Palace have got a game in hand, so if they win that, they'll go above us. Boom. We're not getting carried away. But it's but it's kind of crazy because you had a, a slightly kind of hairy start to the season, and I think maybe... A few people thought you might be in the conversation, but to be top in November is not bad going at all. Yes, yeah, it's, it's where we want to be. Um, we had two points from our first three and then we've won six of our last seven and drawn the other one. So we're in red hot form at the moment. But <laughs> And oh, yet another win with that. Okay, long as <laughs> me there, kick me out. And we've got Sunderland next to our second. Oh, that's a big so game. We're, we're top on goals scored, not even goal difference goals yeah. scored. Is it at home, that game? It is at home, yeah. At the Valley or? At the Valley. Oh, wow. When? Sunday? No, I've told you, you are not allowed to come because <laughs> you are jinxes. No, but I kind of want to come now. Oh, will you let us come? Or do you think it's bad? Oh, to be fair, I'm not playing. It's normally I play That's bad. True. So, yeah. And you than... went to Lewis and Charlton ended up winning with 10 men. So Yeah, but Kate crucially got sent off. Yeah, yeah whilst but I was there. It's fine then. Yeah, when I'm not playing, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Should we go? Could be good. We, we're going to go to Chelsea, Chelsea you're on the Saturday. So yeah. We could go. Okay, we'll come back to you. Okay. But cool. TBC, Jesse, you had like absolute trek and a half up and down to Everton. Good road trip. It was long. I really? have a lot of respect. I'll tell you what I have a lot of respect for. I was on the train with lots of London-based Liverpool fans. Mm. Not all Londoners, I will say, based on their accents, but who obviously, from the way they were talking, had season tickets. And I have serious respect for people who are doing that trip like once a fortnight to mm. go and watch. Yeah, it was, it was a long trip. It was very, very cold. That was the first game of the season where I was like... You really noticed my mum was go like, out of London, she warned right? me. She was like, "You're going to the north." <laughs> and I was like, "I'll be fine." Yeah, I was not fine. No, you really notice as soon as you get out of London how different the temperature is when yeah. you go. It was north. seven degrees. Yeah, it's it like another. Freezing. You drop a, a, a three to five degrees straight away. Walton Hall Park. What a strange football ground. I had not been there before. Yeah, it's yeah. like a school playing. The change field. rooms are like that as well. It's like if you went to a sports centre or something. Yeah, or school changing rooms. Yeah. Just like a bench tiled. <laughs> The tiles that you would get at a leisure centre. It's like really weird. Loads of changing rooms. It's yes. because it's a community yeah, yeah, yeah. place, basically. But all in Everton well, branding. And then they've built stands around it, mm. sort of. Just on one but, side of a big yeah, My example of how small it is will be that I walked in and I was running a little bit late because my train was delayed. And I was like trying to figure out where the media room in inverted commas was because it was just shade room. <laughs> and I sort of like barreled in feeling in a bit of a rush and basically just walked face first into Emma Hayes, effectively, having a chat with Brian Sorensen <laughs> and Paul Green in the corridor. And I was like, this is embarrassing. What did you say? Did you say, oh, sorry? I just went, oh, sorry. And then I had to ask her to move out the way so I could go to the toilet. Oh, I was like, this is cringe. Oh, no. This is a disaster Nightmare. But it was like tiny. I was like, you don't normally expect like no. the managers just to be standing in the corridor. It's kind of like that back end of King's Meadow when you go in and you can either accidentally go into the changing rooms or actually <laughs> Wait, go... sorry. When have you <laughs> accidentally gone into the changing rooms? No, because rooms? there's a door. There's a door. And that's why Flo is banned from King's Meadow. <laughs> no, there's a door there. There's a door there and it's basically like if you take the wrong turning to go to the toilets, you will end up basically in the like red area it like in the in the change rooms but there's also like a door that it's just it's just confusing and sometimes I've accidentally like gone that way and then it's like oh excuse me I've never guys. seen anyone go the wrong way when I've been at King's Meadow <laughs> just 
saying. Just me then. Just, just me. <laughs> yeah, I don't miss those Sunday, like late, uh, early evening trains back from the north as well. Like the, those ones from Manchester, which are always seem to be well, delayed. Well, actually, I will say because. I was then on the way back with all the Liverpool fans and I was feeling stressed because there was mm. only one train an hour. Yes, that's the problem with Sunday. And I was like, and they'd put us in this big long queue because I hadn't like booked onto a specific train because I didn't know exactly what time I'd be there. And then I was like, fuck's sake, I'm not even going to get on this train. But they declassified standard premium and I managed to get a seat. So oh, my wow. world was actually rocked. And then I what watched Chelsea City on the way back. So it was actually great. Wow. Had some tinnies. So and the, and the Wi-Fi held up for that? I was 4Ging. It was it was tough. It was patchy. Uh, it was like a lot of blur and then I'd be like switching to the radio and yeah. Well, you know, good weekend all round then. Uh, we've got so much to talk about because we had an absolutely spectacular NWSL championship game. It really delivered the goods and that was on Saturday night, Sunday morning. So we're going to start with that. And then it was a pretty kind of surprisingly hectic and chaotic WSL weekend as well. Like on paper, not the most glamorous batch of fixtures, but it threw up a few interesting results and interesting performances. So let's get into it after this. I want to start with the championship game. We spoke about it on Thursday's show and we were excited for this kind of retirement finale. Krieger versus Rapino, who was going to you know, finish their career on a high. But it delivered so much more than those two narratives. Actually, the storylines and what happened... It was blockbuster. Like, we couldn't have had better drama in San Diego. Yeah, I feel pleased for the end of ourselves because I feel like, you know, we have sometimes looked at that league and said it doesn't necessarily deliver always on the quality. And there were moments in that game which weren't particularly high quality. But what the end of ourselves always does do is bring a bit of drama and chaos and just a bit of haphazardness. And I think that this final kind of summed up the league because it had all of that. And it was a perfect way to end the season in that kind of storybook way. Let's start with Megan Rapinoe's injury, which was really sad, actually, because there are moments where this kind of happens in, in sport, where you see a, a hero and a legend kind of fall in their, in their final hurd hurdle. And it was just sad to see it and the way that it did, but she handled it remarkably well also in the post-match. Yeah, it was really early, wasn't it? Like first um, few minutes of the two game. minutes or yeah. something. Two, three minutes. And you could kind of tell because there was no contact or anything and then she's sitting there and almost like laughing in disbelief of like, well, that's me done now. You could see the reaction from all the players as well, like giving her a hug and stuff, but I thought she took it well. Um, I think I would have cried my eyes out and probably refused to leave the pitch. <laughs> just, just be like, no, this is Just play on without yeah. Achilles. Put some cones around me and carry on. Um, but she took it well. I think she's had a long career and been through a lot of stuff and it kind of just adds to her career and the drama and and everything that she's she's kind of done in her career but the game as a whole was just so entertaining like mm. I actually mm. really enjoyed it and there was just so much going on <laughs> It's a real surprise I actually <laughs> really enjoyed because it because obviously I'm not invested in a team into, or, yeah, 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 yeah into the NWSL um as much as the WSL playing against players playing with players stuff like that but I thought it was it was a really good last game and yeah it was a, it was a shame that she couldn't last the 90 minutes or Can even five. I read my favorite tweet from the whole weekend? Yeah, I mean there were quite a few good ones. <clears throat> half time, rain 1, Gotham 2. To say that was not the half anyone was expecting or wanting would be an understatement. Guessing even Gotham players would trade their lead for a healthy Megan no. Rapinoe. Oh, <laughs> Who was that? I won't name names. Like even Ali Krieger and that's her best mate said I just had to block it out. Obviously, for like 0.5 seconds, I really felt for her. And I, she went ran over and gave her a hug as she was going off. But then straight away, she said, you're had to block it out. professional yeah. sport. Yes, exactly. Like, what's the point? Yeah. This isn't NWSL's best friend race. No. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's different if it's someone on your team and you're in like a World Cup final 
and someone gets injured, then I understand if that might rock you because you think about like how that impacts you, but not if it's on the opposition, no. unless it's a serious injury, like a head injury, and you are a bit kind of... You, you're like, like actually worried for their Yes, life. you're shaken. Yeah. Like, obviously, what happened to Alex like, Greenwood trade recently. trade your lead no, for it. No, no, <laughs> I probably would for life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow, <life>. savage. <laughs> no, I'd we'll rather get that see them no matter what. <laughs> die. <laughs> I'm a real competitor. <laughs> But yeah, that that is just absurd. But like, so that 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 really um, challenged Rain because that was their ultimate game plan was to play through Megan Rapinoe. Then there was a, a ton of responsibility on Rose Lavelle to carry them, and she did deliver to an extent. She got the equaliser. She carried the team on her back, but she was kind of a one-man band. Like she was getting very little support. She was having to kind of like carry the ball through about five players, and sometimes it worked. There's like amazing clipper for kind of like cheeky little Maradona turn that she does to get out of trouble, but really there was no sort of plan B and when you're playing with a player like Rapino who like has stepped up at times for rain this season and like has managed to tap into kind of a bit of a, a late flurry in her career but like she has over the last couple of seasons struggled with injury or not been at her best so to have that as your ultimate game plan is a bit of a risky strategy especially when that player steps out of the game in the first couple of minutes because then it just felt like Gotham had the momentum because they knew they had the depth, especially compared to Rain, and they had versatility, they had different options to play with, and that kind of ultimately what punished Rain as well. I just thought they were so passive more than anything else that really surprised me. They sat really far back and it gave Gotham so much time on the ball to think about what they wanted to do with it, and it allowed Gotham to like go through any number of sort of different build up strategies and and go up the pitch and then it was such a contrast because when rain were on the ball gotham had this like really effective high press sort of having esther and midge purse like going for the center backs having lynn williams drop in and and sit among the midfielders that gotham just i thought looked so much better drilled and prepared and knew what they had to do whereas it did feel like the rain who knows whether they were just going to play through Rapino. it was just funny I think because like their three attempts at getting the ball forward in the three minutes she was on the pitch were all to her but you know like Bethany Balsa came on and I thought her assist for Lavelle's goal was also like a really really yeah. nice move but yeah it just felt like when they had the ball they didn't really know what to do with it other than try and give it to someone to then do something great whereas Gotham just felt so much more set up like a team who knew what they wanted to do on and off the ball. Yeah, tactically, they were so organised. They were such a defensive unit, but then the game plan was so clear. Like, if we can get these turnovers, play on transition, and then you have someone like Midge Purse, who's also just going to, like, bomb down the wing, run past three players and play the ball in, that also helps. I thought she had a brilliant game. But someone who really stood out for me, who I actually kind of have to admit, I haven't seen a ton of her. I know she got Rookie of the Year, but she's playing at left-back this season, which isn't her position, but she's kind of been thrown in because Gotham had a ton of injuries, is Jenna Nyswanger, who was playing alongside Ali Krieger and obviously has like that experience marshalling her, talking her through the game, and she's spoken a lot about that. But I thought she was playing like someone who's so experienced, not playing like someone who's in her first season and in her first championship game and not playing in position. Like, she was just so smart on the ball, didn't take too many risks, like always knew where her player was, like was just so drilled. I think it's so good to see a young player like that just really step up in that moment when you can see other players kind of getting like to the championship game and kind of getting a little bit terrified. But she was meant to be there yeah she was so composed on the ball so composed and especially she's not a full back again I haven't watched a lot of her but instantly within the first 20 minutes I was like who is this player because she was so good but making the right decisions a lot of the time as well whether to play inside whether to take someone on the balls that she clicked down the line as well it wasn't just kicking it into an area there was thought behind it she knew the weight of pass that she needed to use she was always an option especially for Krieger playing out her distances and her angles were really good to actually allow them to break the first press as well and like you said she got rookie of the year what a player they've got on their hands because she looked like she'd been playing for years and in that position as well so it'd be exciting to see how the rest of her career pans out obviously some young players start really well but I think she's got everything in her locker to be a really really good player 100% Jesse. let's also talk about 
the impact Esther Gonzalez has had um, since she came in because she obviously scores in, in the final, but she has had a really positive impact on the team. I can't believe she's the first European player to score in an end of SL championship game, which seems mad, but I suppose, yeah, when you think about it, it hasn't happened before. Yeah, she's had a massive impact just having that kind of like central focal point. Um, and she's a player I've always liked, but I feel like maybe this is where she belongs. I think she's a player who really suits playing in high-intensity games. And I think naturally the NWSL leans towards that more physical, transitional nature as opposed to playing in Spain, for example, mm. where we know that the the style in Spain obviously is a lot more sort of possession-based and, and build-up-based, which I shouldn't say no teams play more like that, but just generally, you know, across the league. And I think... Her off-ball ability, I think, has always been one of the things that really stands out for her. And talking to Real Madrid fans ahead of the Chelsea game this week, they've said that sort of like losing Weir to her ACL and Esther to the NWSL has been really tough for them in terms of them putting their game plan on other teams because they were so important to their press. And I thought, yeah, you could really see that in this game. Takes the goal very well, but like, why would you leave your opposition centre forward unmarked off a yeah, corner? Yeah, the marking of that was absolutely mm-hmm. shocking. I mean, I I can't talk. I watched Chelsea do that with a defender <laughs> against our city, so uh, in the men's game. But um, I just think she really offers a lot, and also having her, she's not a centre forward who is going to feel like she has to always be the one doing things. She's willing to sort of drop or move to allow, and then when you've got players like Williams or Purse who can then come in and make that impact you know like the Gotham first goal is I mean Percy's run is like amazing right but Esther's like dragging that defense out which is what allows Williams to then make that more central run so I just think as a front three they they really all sort of complement each other in terms of what they want to do you've got Williams who's got that sort of intelligence to find the space Esther's going to sort of work really hard and move players and then sort of Percy's like 1v1 ability and, and intelligence on the ball as well um so yeah I, I thought they looked really impressive impressive going forward we already had one sort of narrative tick which was the Rapino injury. But then the next one was uh, Neely Martin having to go in goal late on. It felt like there was going to be a calm end to the match because I feel like Rain were really struggling to find an equaliser. So it felt like, okay, Gotham are just going to see this game out. It's going to be cool and calm. But no, there had to be one last throw of the chaos dice uh, when Hawk got sent off. I found Juan Carlos Amoros's quote after the game so funny on this because he was like I was so proud of her she made the decision she had to in that moment I was like she could have cost you the game you clown it was so, it was it was stupid like I know she would have lost awareness of where she was and kind of panicked and be like oh but it was kind of stupid what she did get sent off and then we have this kind of whole throwback narrative around the fact that Neely Martin had come in in goal in San Diego before in a game early in the season Abby Smith had had been injured there'd been tons of injuries for Gotham in that game then they went down to 10 players so Martin was kind of channeling this energy again sees out the game as a pretty like you know crap free kick anyway but it just was like another sort of Gotham are going to have to come up against another hurdle and overcome it. And then you felt like, okay, this is sort of written in the stars for Krieger, written in the stars for this team, some of these players. Lynn Williams getting her fourth championship, which is amazing. And I also, it wasn't that long ago, if you guys remember, that there was the whole drama about Lynn Williams getting traded in the first place. And she was, I know everyone was meant to be really hot on the KC current and it was like they'd snubbed Lynn Williams because they were going to be amazing this season. Yeah, and she was pretty cheesed off. She went to social media saying, I'm just as surprised as you guys. She didn't want to go. She got traded in this kind of blockbuster trade. You know, who's laughing now, guys? Because she's gone to a team who actually, now on paper have like a pretty incredible unit and maybe could win back-to-back titles you never know with a great manager who's built this relationship built this style of play everyone knows what they're doing and you're like wow like six months ago Lynn Williams looks like she was fuming and now she's probably pretty chuffed she's on this team we've got Christy Mewis winning her first championship and being the queen of the chaotic post-match celebrations on Instagram live Kelly O'Hara obviously Ali Krieger though is kind of the biggest sort of icing on the cake because at 39 years old Kate will you 
you still, still be playing at 39? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, Thiago Silva's bloody nearly playing at 40. It's insane. Yeah, but I mean, the way Ali Krieger played, if she wanted to carry she on, shouldn't going, oh, she shouldn't retire. She should. She yeah. shouldn't retire. Thinking, how are you like? How are you come retiring? to the WSL? Like new <laughs> new life. Come on, come start fresh. When we get, <laughs> get yourself a new wag in England. Well, It'll be fine. Ali Krieger at the Valley. I would love to that see it. That would be so but good. She's unreal. Like she's still. She's like, still got it. Her positioning, it's like her intelligence. She doesn't need to run the channels and everything. Her positioning's so good. I mean, not that she's not fit as well because she can still run. It's not like she's lost her legs, but she, like you want to go out at the top though. And I think if yeah. there's a way it's to go out, way it's, to... it's the best way. I think that is her first championship yeah. win. So really you just go, well, it doesn't get any better than that in terms of club football. So, And I think she was just kind of quite speechless at the end because I don't think, even though she tried to manifest it, I think truly a lot of them were just stunned that this has ha- happened, given everything they went through. Some of the players who were there last season, a lot of the players who weren't, it was a whole new group really that had to play. Then you've also got Sinead Farrelly and Manashim winning, which is an amazing Cinderella story after what they went through and the sort of revolution that they created in the end of a cell uh, when it, like, in regards to protecting players. It just had absolutely everything. One of the things I want to talk about, though, was in the coverage. I've never seen so many experts. Rules experts. <laughs> pushed yeah. into the bloody broadcast. It was too much. So we had Leanne on the sidelines, which I thought was really good. I like having a sideline reporter chipping in with bits and pieces. I, I enjoyed that. But then we had a goalkeeper <laughs> chat, goalkeeper which up. was unnecessary. <laughs> and then we had uh, Christina Uncle, who was like the referee, sort of, Peter, no, who's the guy that always comes on in the in the BT or Sky coverage. You've obviously got like Mike Dean now Peter does a Warren. little bit. Uh, yeah, Peter that's it. Yeah. Um, He's been sacked though, hasn't it? Yeah, has it? Yeah, they've got oh, Okay. Anyway, that kind of stuff I find quite irritating. I do follow her on Twitter and her like her analysis is good. But I just think like as a title, rules expert is such a great one. Like, yeah. can't... <laughs> well, you should just put like former referee. Former referee. Yeah. yeah. But they, that was just too OTT for me. And I know like it's the championship game and they really want to give it the best coverage possible. You know, a lot of that deserved that sort of like over the topness but I was a bit like guys do we need a goalkeeper and like the goalkeeping was apart from the sending off was pretty low low stakes it wasn't like it was pretty low drama so for it to just be like a contribution being like well she really ran off her line quite fast there I'm like do we need this do we need I this I will say they must have been so pleased Rapino had to go off because the number of shots we got of Rapino sat on True. the bench oh, or yeah. being held up by one of her teammates. Piggy I was back. like, I don't know what they'd have done for half of the show if you know, yeah, actually, so true. who would they have cut to? Yeah. I also always forget sometimes when you watch US sports coverage how many ads and little things you get because Jackie Oatley had to do a readout for getting OL Rain memberships and season yeah. tickets. I was like, how are OL Rain getting their own <laughs> plug? Did they buy the paper? I, I didn't hear one for Gotham, but it was like, and don't forget, if you want to watch more OL Rain, go to OL Rain forward slash memberships. Well, like, we what? can't talk because we got plugged nonstop during the Chelsea Everton commentary on Sunday. So we're getting those plugs. True. Well. Counterpress is, is getting And we off. have slipped Michael McCann 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can, well, I can confirm that our no advertising budget is being spent there, but maybe it should be. But yeah, I always forget that where you're like oh my god it is literally sensory overload with like the ads the experts um but i thought like all in all the, the coverage was really good but there was also an element for me that i really liked looking at some of the celebration and the quotes afterwards because it is lynn williams's fourth title and she spoke about how for her first one in 2016 there was probably like 10 people in the crowd and in the same weekend as um, end of a cell announced a big new media rights deal it is amazing to see that the growth the league has had in the last few years also riding the storm of like a lot of controversy and a lot of dark moments I feel like the league is in a very good place and I think this weekend kind of signified that with a, the biggest crowd they've ever had 25,000 albeit quite a shit pitch the turf was torn up to shreds which always seems to be an issue There's, they have so many pitch issues there the, the growth that the league has been on and the growth that Gotham have been on from not that long ago having a record losing streak where they lost 23 games in a row and didn't win a game until the last day of the season to also off-field issues where they had no running water in the training facilities, no working toilets, like plastic bags over windows and everything to now have a championship to their name. A lot of that thanks to Yal Iverbook West and her work as GM, but also Juan Carlos. 
Carlos Amaros. I think it, that's... Made what, in the women's championship. Ne- <laughs> yeah, never forget. <laughs> but I do think it's an amazing way to kind of signify the growth of the league through that team and what they've achieved. And I'm hoping, like, more happy futures for the NWSL because I do think we have taken the piss in our own way. But, like, they have had a rocky few years when it comes to, like, what the players have been through, what the clubs have been through, some of the coaches and drama and allegations and harassment and bullying that's gone on on that side. It's nice to see a positive story come out of there. Yeah, it's a really fun league as well. Like it's it's I think it's hard to really follow it over here unless you like staying up really late. Yeah, at the night. time difference makes and it. And I tricky. think the thing that gets that winds me up is that everyone's always fighting over which is better. And it's like they're just very different types of league and there's a place for that and it's really fun. And I think it's exciting that you know, obviously in men's football, everything is all, sort of the way almost everything is played is the same all over the world. And as much as I personally I'm glad we don't have a closed league and I'm glad that, you know, being league champion means more than winning like a knockout stage at the end. I don't think one's like inherently better than the other. It's just my preference because that's what I've grown up with. But I think it's fun to have like a totally different sort of way of doing football and, you know, to get these big showpiece matches, like it is really, really exciting. Yeah, and Gotham would, if they had a relegation promotion, Gotham wouldn't have been there this season because they would have been relegated last season. Well, yeah, and and that's that's the argument, right, that, that people would make is that you encourage people to invest and keep with a team because... There's no sort of real risk. In yeah, it, and there's an, there's a there's a supposed equity that comes with it, with like Nyswanger being drafted in the college draft fourth round, I think. So it's like you've got sometimes a bit of a, a circle going around with where someone finishes and the opportunities that they might get as a result of that. Um, and I think it's also just nice. We spoke about this in the preview. Like it's nice to see a new team win things. Like obviously in in England we've had a bit of a struggle with like Chelsea winning things over and over again. I'm not bored. Yes, well, some of us are a bit more. Do you know what I mean? And like, certainly Arsenal fans would say, would say that. But I think it is nice when the NWSL kind of challenges that idea of like, we've seen obviously Portland Thorntons win a lot there and Courage win a lot there. But I think it's nice to see like the status quo um, shaken up a little bit. And I think those new franchises have done that. I think like Casey Stoney and the Wave, Angel City made the playoffs in the end. But I do think those new franchises push other clubs a little bit more there's new ones on the on the way as well soon and I feel like maybe the WSL does need a bit of a refresh and that will come I think with this exco that's being created but like whether it's expansion or looking at more teams getting relegated more teams coming up it does feel like we're reaching an important growth point, whereas the end of itself has just been on this, like, it, it's a different sports economy. And, like, in the US, they're very, they get very excited by expansion because it's a bit more of a commercial system. But I do think the WSL does need a bit of a refresh because there are lots of men's teams who are, like, desperate, like, especially look at Newcastle, to get their team in the top flight. But we are a bit closed off in some ways now just because the league has been tight on these number of places for so long. Yeah, and the problem you've got as well is you don't want to lose the quality of teams and quality of players if you then keep expanding. I think because more foreign players are coming across the league, then obviously the quality of the teams goes up. Um, But you also don't want to lose the younger players. I kind of like the American system in terms of they are driven to making their team the most successful so you can have a bad season like you said but you can also bring in players with what San Diego are doing other teams that are bringing in you know celebrities to be part of their team it's like who would be the Charlton celeb <laughs> investor oh god who's a South London icon come on you sort of sort your part of the world Jesse South London icon. Yeah, who could be the Do you want me celebrity invest? investor? But it'd be like some D-list, someone from like CITV back in the like early 2000s. It would be, it would be someone like really low No, brow. I feel like what if it was like the way the Americans do it, it'd be like Ruben Loftus-Cheek would go and do it. Like yeah. a Lurshan boy would like then put some money into the... That would be yeah. the vibe. And he's sexy, so that would be well, great. Yeah. 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 That's the main thing. That's that, what you need. That is not, that's I think that is the most <laughs> sexy man. Yeah. I've always said that. That's what's sexy missing men. from the that women's game. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like the idea of relegation and promotion and, you know, it just makes it competitive. You've always got something to fight for. Whereas if you're at the bottom of the NWSL, are you really bothered whether you finish ninth or 12th or it's it's all the same? Well, there's an incentive to like throw the league in it because it 
P- exactly, the and then yeah. So then the next time it's almost like, well, we might as well finish bottom now, so we get first pick. I get it because you want to make it even and you want to make the teams as close and competitive as possible. But it's just a, it's completely different, isn't it? Like you said, how we've been brought up. We've been brought up football first. It's not an entertainment business as mm. such. Whereas I feel in the US, it's almost like, how can we make this the most commercially viable product? Mm. There's glitz, there's glamour, there's fireworks, there's, you know, just for finishing fourth, you can still win something, like which I like, but it is almost like, how can we make this as entertaining as possible? Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens once the new Exco does come in the WSL, because I do think there'll be hopefully a lot of changes then and kind of looking at what the future looks like. But what a championship game, NWSL, we love you, we wish we could watch more of you maybe uh, play games on a European time zone in the <laughs> the worst time for, for the US so we can watch more please uh, but yeah that was brilliant um, but let's talk about the WSL next so the real shock result this weekend came in Manchester City's game against Brighton which I don't think many people probably would have seen that fixture as one to throw up the biggest surprise But it did. Man City losing 1-0 at home to Brighton. One chance, one goal. That's all Lee Hoomen needs. A a good goal as well. I think the the turn and the assist from Pauline Bremer was fantastic. Alexandre does get turned pretty easy, but, you know, she still had work to do. So a great goal from them. But really, the story here is just how poor Manchester City were. They they just looked so off the pace in so many ways. Like, they had chances. Um, I think they hit the woodwork twice, Chloe Curley early on. And, uh, you know, Lauren Hemp misses a really good chance uh, at the near post. But I just think in general, like, a lot of their players looked off the pace. And I don't know if it's a hangover from the Arsenal game and what happened and the frustrations there. But there also just seemed to be a lack of urgency in the team. And I think that was summed up mostly from when Chloe Kelly sort of, like, slowly walked to take a corner late on after they had yet another chance. And there was just, like, no energy and desire when your team are trailing 1-0. Bunny Shaw's off the pitch by that point. She came off um, before Brighton got their goal. And you're thinking, I don't feel like you guys want to get back into this, which... It's obviously, you know, not true because they're professional footballers. But, like, yeah, the, just the urgency and the, the willingness to kind of rescue the game just felt lost. And that same City kind of narrative I'm feeling this season about not putting away chances, creating opportunities. Don't get me wrong, Sophie Bagley was good. But she didn't pull off any amazing saved. It was more just like wasted City opportunity. And I want to talk about Bagley uh, in a little bit because like she has been uh, important for Brighton this season. But still, I was just so disappointed in, in Man City. They started the season really well and I was really impressed with them and thought they have a real genuine chance of winning the league. Not saying that they don't now. I mean, a lot can happen still. There's a lot of games to go. I think if that Chloe Kelly shot after... I don't know, it was in the first minute, wasn't it? Mm. That hits the crossbar. It changes the game completely because Brighton won't just sit in and and try and defend what they've got. And then the goal that that Brighton scored, it was a really well-worked goal. I don't think Brighton had too many chances, but it almost knocks you as a team, doesn't matter how good you are. I think when you've dominated a game and you have created so much and not scored, I think when the, the team then scores, it's like, what else have we got to do today mm. to kind of win this game? And you said about the energy. I understand that they are professionals, but a lot of them have played a lot of minutes as well. They're just really struggling to kind of put chances away, but also create really, really good chances. I think one thing against playing Man City before is they can drain the life out of you because they pass with a purpose. They try and look to overload you in areas and then they look to switch quickly so that you're out of position. And I feel that they haven't haven't been consistent with that this season in, in games. Against Arsenal, I thought for the first 15 minutes they did that really well against Arsenal's back four in their midfield. They got in so many times and kind of exposed them and got a lot of gaps and then as soon as they conceded you could see it rock them again and that I think Jesse alluded to it last week where they couldn't then find their feet and they sort of went a little bit all over the place as if they didn't know the game plan that's kind of happened against Brighton if they don't score it's sort of almost changing 
what they're trying to do and they're trying to find different ways. And I don't know if that is because they're not free-flowing scoring at the moment. They're almost putting too much pressure and too much emphasis on that and then leaving themselves a little bit open for the counter-attack at the back. I don't know. I, I think they'll be OK. I think it is just a little blip. The way they dominated the game and the amount of shots that they had, albeit not unbelievable chances, but the amount of shots they had, they should be winning that game regardless. I suppose the most damning thing is is that losing these back-to-back games really puts it against them now to try and win the title. Whereas before that Arsenal game, I thought they were looking quite good to keep themselves in it. And what we were saying a few weeks ago, Jesse, no one has won the WSL losing more than two games, right? So they are putting themselves in a record-breaking position to try and pull this off now. And they're going to be relying on Chelsea dropping points and Chelsea are yet to lose a game this season. So I think that's what's frustrating is the Arsenal one, you think, okay, huge error leads to you losing this game and maybe you could have put away chances. But... This game is is much more of a frustrating result where it's like the game was in your hands and you let it run away from you and now that could impact your entire season. And the league is really tight now. Like they at one point City would have been right behind Chelsea and now they find themselves in sixth place because that's how far they fall and Arsenal would have been in the bottom half if that result yesterday would have stayed the way it was. So it's kind of like so much can leave you in a really interesting place this season, especially when it comes to the Champions League. Maybe less so when it comes to winning the title right now because Chelsea are in a bit of rhythm, but we've only had six games of the season so far. Yeah, I think for City as well, though, to not to be fair to them per se, but I think it's easy to overlook how big a miss Alex Greenwood's been to that team, and I don't think it's a surprise that they've lost both games without her. And I just think both defensively and in terms of what they want to do in possession, like what Kate was talking about. Greenwood out of the side changes that entire rhythm. You're moving Alexandria into centre-back. I think Julie Blackstab was it who started yesterday. And I think that suddenly pushes City to play a much more transitional game. It felt way more transitional than you normally see with City. And I think that then leads to those sort of snatched at chances or like there's not the same kind of consistent pressure because they're constantly sort of just trying to play on the break as opposed to really build up pressure against a side and I think obviously it's really tough when like a player sort of matters so much to your system that you don't necessarily have the tools to to replace her and that there's there's a number of teams who you know struggle when that happens we've seen I don't think that's obviously true this season but in the past we've seen Arsenal for example when Leah Volti comes out of the team that they they really struggle because she in the past has been so so central to what they want to do and I think just with City it's still there's still this feeling Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp aren't goal scorers like they do score and like Kelly I think has got three and six this season so she's had a pretty good start I'd never get the feeling with them like that if they get into a good position in the box that they will take those chances it always feels like they need to get in the good position and then try and find Bunny because Bunny's the one who will score and I think that's sometimes feels like the difference when I look at City compared to like Chelsea or Arsenal where for me those teams have sort of three to five players who I back if they're fit across the season probably to get 10 in the league and I think it's just that level it's not that Kelly and Hemp aren't incredibly high quality players it just feels like they don't have that killer instinct and look Lauren Hemp's still only 23 so it I still think it could come for her but for me that's like the gap in sort of where that finishing quality comes from. I think it's more than that as well. It's an over-reliance on them. So they're the ones who have to dig them out of games. And when Bunny isn't scoring and she then gets taken off, it's like, okay, if we're not supplying her, we are the ones having to push. And then, like you say, if you don't have that finishing, it's like, oh, what's what's the backup plan? And Jill Rord was an opportunity to have that other option in midfield coming in and scoring. But she struggled the last few games. And I feel like, okay, then, if you haven't got that option it's like we've got the whip we've got the opportunities I think Chloe I think Chloe Kelly does have that finishing in her and I think she has stepped up this season but it's when that when that opportunity and that creativity um, goes from freedom to pressure I think that's when City are like oh what do we do now because if it's not working with them we haven't really got other options in that point where they had like Ellen White maybe not firing, but like Bunny Shaw trying to make a point and then not playing as a two, et cetera, et cetera. It's like they actually had so many more options. Now when 
it ends up just being Kelly and Hemp, it's like it feels like it's going back to the struggles of a few seasons ago when there's so much pressure on them to deliver. And when they can't run it all through Shaw, it's like, oh, now we're kind of stuck for ideas. Because they did have quite a lot of the ball yesterday. They had 66% possession. But it's like when it's the same relentless ideas that aren't working, that becomes pressure. The clock, you know, starts to go on. And then I feel like they kind of go into panic mode a little bit. When actually, I think in the raw qualities, they've got players who can win games. I want to briefly talk about what the result means for Brighton, though, because I spoke about Sophie Bagley. You know, she, she was very solid yesterday, which was important. And she was really important in the result that they got against Manchester United as well. And I think it's been a tough couple of years for her because her stock was so high at Bristol City. She was getting her name thrown out in conversations with England. Then she goes to Manchester United, obviously isn't going to play because of Mary Earp's got like, you know, cup appearances. But this is a really big opportunity for her to kind of prove herself to be in that conversation again. And I think she's done really well so far this season in a team that did have a bit of a tough start to the season. Yeah, I think the Man United move was good for her. I think she needed to try and have exposure at a bigger club because with all due respect to Bristol, I don't know what their goalkeeping coaching was like and I'm I'm not suggesting that it wasn't good. But when you're working with a world-class keeper as well alongside you and a really good goalkeeping coach, I think you can learn a lot from that and that can actually almost be more beneficial than just playing for a team that is struggling and getting loads of shots against them all the time. But it is unfortunate for her that she hasn't had a lot of game time recently because, you know, she's she's not going to play ahead of Mary Earps because for obvious reasons. But she's done really well and I've always rated her as a keeper. I think even from when she was really young at Bristol, she always seemed to have a very calm head on her shoulders. Unassuming, like doesn't seem to be like the most dominating, loudest keeper But I think what she does have is the trust and respect of all the defenders in front of her, that if she's coming out for something, she's going to come and get it. Um, Her shot stopping, I would say, is probably her biggest attribute. I think she makes some really unbelievable saves. And she just seems very calm. And I think Brighton's a really good move for her because it's a club that wants to progress. They're really starting to invest in the women's team. They have great training facilities. I've heard that they're building their own stadium for the women's team. So it's a club that's certainly going in the right direction. And I would imagine in the next two, three years, they're really going to start pushing for that top four, top five club. So it's a team where she can progress, especially with the players coming in. I think it's it's a really good move for her, but also a really clever signing from Brighton as well to bring in a keeper with a lot of experience, even though she hasn't played a lot in the last two years. Yeah, she's made the most saves in the WSL this season. Another player who got a mention by Melissa Phillips yesterday is Maria Torres-Dotter. She kind of talked about how she is that loud voice in that back line and she is kind of coaching her teammates with her experience. And she had a bit of a weird time at Manchester United, obviously coming from Chelsea where the end of her Chelsea career was kind of disappeared because of concussion and she just drifted out of the team goes to Manchester United probably with more expectation and then Manchester United sort of build a bit of a unit without her and she has a few matches especially that one against Chelsea where she makes some big mistakes and but I feel like this is a nice restart for her too where she can be that experienced head in the dressing room maybe alongside Vicky and be an important part of that unit and I'm hoping that the last few results have been a really good foundation for Brighton because I like Melissa Phillips and I we all kind of liked them at the start of the season and were a bit surprised at how difficult the start was but they did have a lot of new players so trying to bring that group together but it does feel like now it's gelling a little bit more. Yeah I mean they've had an insane run of games so they've played Chelsea United, City, and then they've got Arsenal next. They've already got four points from three of them. So even if they lose to Arsenal, I think you feel like you're walking away from those four games to have four points is um, pretty like a pretty impressive place to be. And I think you could tell that they've taken a lot of, I think, confidence, I think, from the game against United. And I do think the combination of players they've got is really nice. And I think also what makes the difference is the size of squad they've now got and and the quality that you've got players coming onto the pitch later in games you're not having this big drop off you get the energy boost but it's not like the quality significantly changes and I think you know in the past 
for smaller teams coming up against bigger teams, the bigger teams can bring X international, Y international off the bench and you're sort of struggling to maybe you, you barely have a bench or your bench is like academy players. So you've got to kind of keep everyone on. And then obviously as the game goes on, you tire and, and the bit bigger team can like take advantage. But this is also what's kind of interesting for City. Their squad is a squad this year that they knew wasn't going to play Champions League football. And as a result... It's smaller. And I think that's a sensible decision in some ways because you can't have loads and loads of players when you know you don't have those bigger games. And United Arsenal are now in this funny position where they do have Champions League squads. And Brian Sorensen talked about it in the week when Everton got battered by United in the Conti Cup. He was like, it's because United's second string was about so them good. playing in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And now they're playing Conti Cup group stage and we want to rest players because we got Chelsea at the weekend. So that's where you're getting those mismatches. But I think it's interesting to look at a team like City compared to a team like Brighton. Obviously, the quality of City squad is still higher, but there's sort of like a slight levelling out going there, which I think is having like in-game effects. Well, let's talk about having the depth to try and rescue a game because it could have been a very good weekend for Chelsea at one point when Leicester were beating Arsenal 2-0. But then why did those tables turn? Because... Leicester really just threw away a two-goal lead and descended into an absolute mess, end up losing the game 6-2. I mean, Lena Hurtig scores, for God's sake. That's when you know. That's when you know it's a drama. Courtney Nevin, I will. You will be hearing from my lawyer. (laughs) It was so frustrating because... It was such a good Leicester performance in the first half. Deanne Rose comes off. I don't know if she had a knock or Willie Kirk was trying to almost settle things up, but they lost such an important focal point, someone who was really good at holding up the ball and keeping them higher up the pitch, but then not causing those turnovers. Then they come out in the second half and it's just turnover after turnover after turnover. And last year, we saw how Leicester were relentless and so brave in the way that they played. They went to Manchester United and stayed true to their principles and ended up getting battered. But it was an important part of their survival because they had an identity and that's what they were going to play regardless of who they were playing. But yesterday, it was so classic where they'd done all the hard work and been clinical with the opportunities they had, but then didn't take a moment to think how do we manage this game and it was really interesting hearing from Jonas Eideval and Willie Kirk afterwards both talking about the bravery of Leicester and saying it was such a positive thing but for me I was like it's also idiotic to want to play a certain way and not read the game and read the moments and try and take those risks when you're defending a two-goal lead and maybe there is an element of Arsenal would have worn them down eventually if Leicester had tried to contain their league, conceded loads of chances, and maybe Arsenal would have got back into the game somehow. But also there was such a prime opportunity there, when, especially when Pullover misses that early chance, where you think, hang on a minute, maybe Arsenal aren't in their rhythm, aren't in their flow, and we can put the pressure on them by how we manage this game. But honestly, it was like a car crash after that first Arsenal goal goes in. I just find it funny because we've had High Line Gate discourse in men's That's football I said. all week. I tweeted, and now we've got High Line Gate discourse in I women's football. I tweeted last night, I was like, Leicester are literally just playing like Spurs on Monday night. It is a carbon copy. But Leicester copy had 11 of, players. Well, Leicester did have 11 players, but it's a carbon copy of like what not to do. But well, that I is mean, their principle. But yeah, but then that's the question. I think the thing that Leicester do sacrifice in defence in order to create opportunities going forward. To be honest, I think the high line thing, for the first two goals at least, is much more about sort of individual errors within playing that system as opposed to the system itself. And I think once they'd thrown the two-goal lead, they just had a total breakdown. Oh, there was no chance. So I think it's hard to sort of judge it as the system because also how many times have we seen teams sit back and then the pressure still gets to them and they still make a mistake. And I think in the long run for Leicester, it will do them more good than harm to play like that. It's just frustrating, obviously. You've got a two-goal lead, you're in a really good position and then those mistakes start coming in. Like I still, I've watched the first goal back so many times and I still don't understand how Courtney Nevin doesn't just pass the ball back. <laughs> I don't, it's like she forgets I think that they, she's got feet. I think they all got ahead of themselves and this is exactly why after that second goal goes in, Willie Kirk is like pointing at his watch saying, don't you dare get cocky. And they all got a little bit cocky. And Jonas Ardevel spoke afterwards. Well, Pullover mentioned this actually in her post-match saying, 
you know, we were very clear with our direction, like nothing really changed at half time. The focus was still, we know that if we can win our individual battles, because that's how Leicester play, that's also their best asset, but also their biggest weakness. And she said, if we can win our individual battles and win those duels, then we win the game. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. There was, I think, a, an arrogance to it where the simple option was ignored and they still thought they could win those individual battles. And when they lost them, the game just flipped on its head. It was really naive the way they came out second half. Like I said, in the first half, they were winning those battles. I think there were a couple of warning signs where Pulover obviously should have made a better decision and, and probably passed it, but tried to chip the goalkeeper. So there were warning signs, but... To go into a second half with a 2-0 lead, there's not many teams that can do that against Arsenal. And I think there's no shame in trying to kill the momentum of the game in the first 10 minutes especially because what Arsenal will be looking for is can we get a goal as early as possible? Can we get a goal? Because they know when they get one goal, that's it. The, the shift in momentum changes. Leicester will be on the back foot and they can create chances. We know the quality Arsenal have going forward, the amount of players that they've got that can score goals. I mean, you only had to look at the people coming off the bench as well and you're like, there's goals everywhere in this team right now. I think leaving themselves 3v3 on a big pitch with a high line is like, to me, is absolute madness. I could not understand what they were doing and... I actually had it on in my car, so I couldn't really watch it properly. So it's only when I watched it back. But at the time, I'm just shouting at my phone, like, what <laughs> are you doing? Because they're leaving themselves so open. Mm. I mean, Alessia Russo's goal. You've got a centre forward that is unmarked and there's not a player within five to ten <laughs> yards of her. So she can take a touch that's and the finish thing. it you're for not, two all. You're not playing a high line properly because no. if you're playing a high line properly... You need to be in the line, yes. So someone's not. Well, like they were clearly think, yeah, they were clearly like being like, oh, we're gonna play her offside, but got it like so wrong, but so wrong. And you know, Nevin needs to come across, but also I think it was maybe Howard's the centre half. Maybe mm. they need to compact the spaces and the distances. You can play a high line, but once you then become in your low block or further deeper your distances have to become shorter mm, mm. and smaller. And they didn't do that. And every time Arsenal got the ball, I thought they're going to score. And listen, there were some incredible goals, incredible finishes. Whether Caitlin Ford means that, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a great finish. I, I just thought it was really naive. And you can say it's brave and you can say we tried to keep doing what we were doing. But you've got to get the result. And yeah. it doesn't matter if the second half's not pretty and you make it an absolute shitter of a game where you break up play, you kill their momentum every time. Get bookings, make fouls high up the pitch. Don't let them get any sort of momentum. And as soon as that first goal went in, I thought they're in trouble because they're continuing to play that way. And you can see what happens. Well, you know what they say, Willie Kirk is the new big Ange. So. Well, it is funny though as well because the parallels also with the Chelsea's first game is that Arsenal, like Chelsea men, have really struggled against low blocks this season. So again, it's exactly the same thing of being like, if you were to sit back, you think you would frustrate. Arsenal hadn't scored more than two goals in any game this season so far. And, and, and exactly and what they've shown is that they only like to play against teams where they can play in that transition, quick passing style. And that's how they score goals. And they've completely played into their hands, like you say. We do have to give a little bit of credit to some really good individual performances, though, from Arsenal. Victoria Pelova end up getting player of the match. Really thriving in that more central role. Chloe Lacasso, I think, has been really good at sort of digging Arsenal out of trouble in moments and stepped up and put in performance, which is, you know, I, I wasn't sure she had in her, but I think she's really levelled up since she's arrived at Arsenal and becoming such an important player. But there's still frustrations with that defence. Ida Vell talked about it in post-match, still not getting a clean sheet. And, and fans still also lamenting the absence of Rafa on social media. And we've spoken about how important she's been. And Lotta Wumoy is still kind of trying to be the glue that holds them all together. She had that amazing clearance, which then almost is pointless for five minutes, but then also became heroic again, kind of got to look at it once more. But still, it's like the, the defence still seems a little bit all over the place. And that starts with Zinsberger, I guess, and the lack of confidence the unit haven't have in her. But they still look pretty shaky defending set pieces, which is ironic because actually when you look at their XG at uh, like against at set pieces, they've actually got the best in the league. Only only uh, Chelsea just a little bit less than them. So stats wise, numbers wise, they're they're actually one of the best. But I do think when you look at them in game, they still look a little bit all over the place defensively, and it feels like they're sort of 
faking it till they make it a little bit this season, relying on having that space in many of their games where they're going to play on the transition and it's going to work. I think on the balance of play, I still don't see them being a team that's going to have enough to win the league. Yeah, it's tough. I think this was a tough game to judge because Kim Little and Leah Volti weren't available and they had to field a totally new look midfield. And I definitely think the first half, they, like Pullover and Cooney Cross did struggle. And I think that's, again, to be expected against a Leicester team who prioritise intensity higher up the pitch. And then you're putting two players together who haven't played together. You know, Cooney Cross is making her WSL debut. That's a tough thing to do. And I think as the game went on and obviously the game state moved in their favour, they looked a lot better, which is a positive for Arsenal. I did feel like if they could come out of this game with a win, which they obviously did those players will take a big boost from that. And suddenly you do have, I mean, we've seen Pullover playing in that midfield um, quite a lot this season, but you are then in a position where you're like, okay, great. Like Cooney Cross is an option because, you know, even though she's kind of come in here through necessity, she's now got those minutes to go forward with. I think also they've been unlucky that Kadena's not, really been fit enough to play I think at the start of the season if you'd asked Jonas privately potentially he would have told you that he probably wanted to play with Wobbermoy and Kadena that would be my guess and I think Amanda Ilerstedt is struggling with the league but again that's kind of unfortunate because Ilerstedt is the player they've got as sort of their <laughs> the holding defender until Leah Williams had returned so yeah to that extent I think they've obviously been unlucky with the way things have been configured but I think you can clearly see that they're getting better they have also probably in an unfortunate place at the moment whereby teams feel like they can score against them and I don't necessarily think that's because Arsenal are defensively terrible I don't think they're great but I just think any team at the moment thinks oh if we get a chance we back ourselves to get something here and that's what happens if you concede to Leicester Bristol Villa all teams who have don't score a lot of goals then everyone thinks well if they can do it we can do it and that's something that might change for Arsenal over the course of the season I suspect it will change over the course of the I feel season. like once they start getting some clean sheets things will start to change I feel like they need that defensive confidence to grow and I do think Zinsberger is a massive part of that I think Lotta Wimamoy putting the performances that she has like in is is crucial because I think that will build confidence around her and people will be like okay if we need someone who we can rely on playing the ball out like we can give it to Lotta to distribute she's going to be strong in the air she, she she's going to be a bit more of a leader in that back line but you still get a sense that sort of like the players know where the weaknesses are a little bit and that's that lack of confidence and that lack of trust whereas having Williamson back will be a huge lift but then you think she can't go like it'll, it'll take time to build up to where she was it's hard for someone just to be thrown straight into the mix so I still feel like when that time comes I don't know but that clean sheet foundation could be massive for them but I still don't feel like it's enough to think are they going to challenge for the title but I do think there's enough still of that push till the end strive to get a result that should get them you know pushing towards the end certainly get them into a cup final like the fact that they are they still have that desire to turn around games from difficult situations which has been the kind of the the blueprint of Idaval's tenure is commendable and they did it against Aston Villa they've done it in other situations as well did it against Man City and uh, like coming back from 2-0 down yesterday when I thought okay they're cooked it's kind of it, it is still impressive so I still think like it'll be interesting what goes down as, as a success for them this season um, Jesse just quickly before we go um, you were at the Chelsea game they are now three points clear could have been a better weekend but three points clear like, how do you think they are at this point in the season? Yesterday was probably one of the weaker games they've played this season, I think, aside from the City game. I don't know how much of that is related to Hayes' leaving. It's very tempting to read it. Oh, they were all feeling sad, so they didn't play very well. <laughs> Maybe they were just cold like you. Yeah, well, it was, it was a bit of a weird game like that because Chelsea started, well, first 20 minutes looked really good. Um, Kerr was looking a bit spooky, but Neve Charles and Jesse Fleming were killing it. Janet and Canaret runs really fast, so that was causing Everton some problems. And then Neve Charles got kicked by Justine Van Havenmet and went down for about like three or four minutes. And it was just like <laughs> My girl Justine. That, yeah, after that, <laughs> Chelsea were like it was like watching a different team. I don't know if they did just genuinely 
get a bit cold, but suddenly like they couldn't pass. Millie Bright was like having a, she was totally rattled by Martina Piemonte, iconic player, by the way. I'm obsessed with her. She's very funny. Uh, she's like so Italian to watch. She was like really? going around with her, like doing her Italian hands. <laughs> no. The referee, it was really funny. Yeah, and Everton had a load of really good chances, but Anne Katrenberger had a really good game. And then in the second half, Hayes switched the midfield around. Chelsea just looked a lot more comfortable and they got the second and third. Shout out for Aggie Beaver Jones, though. Shout out. Great goal. Great goal. Three goals in three sub appearances. I think she's she scored three goals in like 68 minutes or something. It's crazy. She's flying. We love to see it. Um, it's a big week midweek. We've got Champions League. You're going to be talking about that on Thursday's show. And then the game of the weekend really is the Manchester derby. Uh, Man U at home to Man City. Going to be a fun one on Sunday. But we're going to be at Chelsea Liverpool, Stamford Bridge on Saturday. And maybe at the Valley. Who knows? Might see you there. If Kate lets us in. (laughs) Uh, Good to see you all. Um, Enjoy the rest of your week. You got training, Kate? Yes, tomorrow. How does it work when you're not playing? Do you still go into the meetings and stuff? Yeah, of course. (laughs) How dare you step outside? (laughs) No, but like, obviously, you like your match prep. You don't need to like know the game plan. Yeah, Saturday to do my running. What, on the pitch afterwards? With the coat, yeah. So they did match day minus one where it's like pretty chill. And then I had to do all my own bits what did you have to do fun how much running i don't even know but it's a lot of axles and d cells it was with a ball as well you want cells and the not cells (laughs) what acceleration and deceleration oh sorry Sorry. i've never heard that shortened (laughs) axel d cell it's quite a common term in football (laughs) yeah i had to do quite a lot of that just to kind of try and replicate a football game but in a condensed space of time so yeah, yeah, yeah. get wow. some high speed in so I've got that sounds like a lot of work this week. <laughs> uh, Jesse what are you up to this week are oh, you going to Madrid going to Madrid yeah looking forward to that um, also before we finish can I just shout out Hammerby who yes, won the Swedish league we do need shout out on Hammerby. goal difference and they're a really fun team and I watched them a lot this year because Michael Hamano was there and I think to hold on and get the win for the first time in like 30, 40 years or something, even though they lost Hamano and Kyra Cooney Cross um, towards the end of the season. It's really impressive. And their fans go hard. Yeah. 7,000 fans. I know. At an away game. <laughs> yeah. Following Flares, up their, following up their massive cup win was the first one in forever, then getting the league win. And then they had that huge party in, in town afterwards. They all like painted massive... themselves gold, yeah. which I'm obsessed with. And exceptional bucket hats. I yes. won one of those hats. So, yeah, massive shout out, Hammerby. I want to go party with those guys. But that is all for us today. We will catch you again on Thursday. 